Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Healthy Indoors Show. I'm your host, Bob Krell. Um, we've got an interesting panel today. We've taken a little divergence from uh, what we typically do here on the show. Uh, we started the live stream uh, back in mid-March uh, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic uh, to get technical content out and, uh, more more frequency than we usually did. Uh, we used to do the show monthly as a recorded show. Um, so we've been doing it weekly, as you know, um, every Thursday from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. Today um, is a little bit of an interesting uh switch, I think. We're going to talk about how the pandemic has potentially driven the desire as well as the need for more online offerings, uh, basically transforming what used to be uh, live in-person conferences and trade shows, as well as uh, online uh, or live training offerings into online offerings and having to morph those. So we have we have really have a, uh, a great panel today. Um, with us a uh, group of individuals from various sectors throughout the uh, uh, industry uh, associations and organizations uh, out there that many of you are very familiar with or are probably members thereof. So in no particular order, because it's such a, it, this is like the largest panel we've ever had, by the way, this is, it's a new, it's a record setting size panel. Uh, those of you who have never seen the window actually totally filled on the Healthy Endure Show, but here, here it is. It's uh, we are effectively the Hollywood squares for today. So um, with us, um, we have uh, Kelly Rutt, who's a Development and Communication Director for the Environmental Information Association, EIA. Hi, Kelly. And show everybody who you are. Great. Um, also with us is Christy Crocker, the Executive Director of the Maine Indoor Air Quality Association. Council. Hi, Christy. Council. Uh, I did say Association Council. Sorry, it's written here. Uh, this is this is Bob without a teleprompter. As this usual. is live. We're live. <laughs> live television without a teleprompter. It's it's Ron Burgundy moments are waiting to ha happen here today. Uh, uh, okay, uh, Sue Marchesi, right? And I pronounced that right, didn't I? Thank you. She's the managing director of marketing and communications for AIHA. Dare I say American Indoor Hygiene Association for those who just don't know the change. American Industrial Hygiene Association, Industrial. formerly known as. Um, we are, of course, legally still American Industrial Hygiene Association, but we're going to be going by AIHA moving forward. New branding. Uh, we had your CEO on last week. Uh, great, great session on some of the branding that your organization is doing and kind of the reboot and uh, the, the new face. And it's really, it's exciting stuff. Uh, also with us is Steve Skodak, who is the uh, CEO of the Building Performance Association. Hi, Steve. Hello, Bob. Good to see you again. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, and again, I'm just going around the around the horn here. Uh, we also have uh, uh, Jay Stake, who's the president of the Indoor Air Quality Association. Morning, Bob. Okay. Jody Arajo, who's uh, the uh, CEO and vice president. You're going to have to help me on that one. You're CEO of NADCA. Yes. And... Vice President of Organizational Development for Association Headquarters. Perfect. Um, and then last but not least on our guest panelists are Beth Morrow. She's the Senior Director of Client Services at Association Headquarters. So she's, you're dealing with multiple associations. Yes, 30 meeting planners in our building. Wow, that's crazy. And of course, last but not least, co-pilot and chief provocateur, the uh, Hayward Score Healthy Building Scientist, self-proclaimed, Joe Medosh. Welcome, everybody, and uh, thanks for joining us. That's all the time we have today, so we'll see <laughs> yeah, you again right. next Thursday. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I guess, you know, I really want to start out with um, how has COVID-19, you know, and this pandemic, you know, made you make an, an immediate impact on, on your planned functions for your organizations? Because obviously many of, many of your groups either had uh, national uh, conference type events planned for the spring and summer, or um, had recently just completed it and had other stuff. So what, and, and I, you know, obviously for, for the people out there, um, how, how did that, how has that affected you? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna direct it to uh, Sue first. Actually, I'll throw that over to you because you're the most recent one. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yes, I think everybody may be familiar with uh, AIHCE, EXP, that's our um, rather large live event uh, that AIHA uh, puts on every year. We were supposed to be 
live in Atlanta uh, on June 1 through 3 this year. Um, so of course, around mid-March, we knew we had to do something, but we weren't really sure. Um, so um, I'd like to just start off by saying that we did have originally, even long before COVID hit, we originally were going to offer a virtual conference within the live conference as well for people who couldn't attend uh, in person. So we would have had our virtual event. So when uh, the board of directors announced in April that we were actually going to go fully virtual, uh, we had to shift directions pretty quickly um, and that changed our virtual event from having three tracks to having five um, with three days worth of education uh, and um, 12, uh, I'm sorry, 10 hours per day. So um, all of that accumulated to over 21 hours of uh, credit time for people uh, to get their um, credit hours. Uh, but what did happen um, is we were concerned, uh, just like Bob even said early on, sometimes the overage on Zoom or on, on uh, just internet bandwidth uh, during the beginning of COVID could really hurt uh, something like that, a paid event like we were going to be having. So it turns out that um, we were able to pre-record uh, about three quarters of all of the speakers, all of the presenters. Uh, they took their time to not just pre-record, but then they also um, showed up live on the days of the conference, June one through three, to be live in the chat rooms uh, to answer questions on the go. So yes, we had to shift gears from um, what was going to be a hybrid, mostly a live event. We were expecting 5,000 people. Uh, and we went fully virtual and we actually clocked in at over 2,200 people online. And we didn't, we, we, we made it, <laughs> we made it. <laughs> and there, there's something to be said for that. And that's, uh, so, you know, I guess you're going to be the reigning champion for last minute events with number of participants, but now I got to shift to S Steve Skodak because uh, BPA was in a similar situation having to, uh, you know, very rapidly deploy uh, an online of all online event versus uh, an anticipated fairly large in-person event. Yeah, it was certainly um, a quick shift for us. Um, our event was scheduled in the third week of April. And in, as you're all aware, really first week of March, second week of March is when it got fairly dicey. So we were about six weeks out when we made the decision to go virtual and to do a combination of um, live and then to buy us some time in standing up to learning management system. Uh, we did a series of on-demand on the LMS uh, learning management system to make sure that worked. And now we have over 100 pieces of content on that. Um, and our speakers really worked hard to make that happen. And we provided tutorials for them to come on and be able to, to stand those up. And then ran two full weeks uh, from the time we were live uh, or scheduled to be live. We ran um, three uh, speakers each day. Um, and then some days, I think we had three or four different days, we ran virtual happy hours just to try and provide some level of networking there. Um, but relatively short time period, uh, three each day was three 90 minute slots for speakers if they chose to use that long, uh, allowed for breaks in between, but we averaged I think five to 700 on the live feed and then uh, many more after that. And then, hey, yeah, go ahead. So your total, your total count was like, over 1600 it was close 16 to 16 almost almost 1700 participants and so we were having five to seven hundred on on any live presentation and that went for two straight weeks um so there was a lot of desire but that was the last week of april first week of may and there was nothing going on live out there at the time so we were uh, virtually uncontested in that spot people were going stir crazy and really looking forward to having that. And then we provide financial assistance for the people who couldn't afford it um, because much of our industry uh, was laid off. The workers were laid off, the owners had laid off most of their crews and 
and we thought it was essential that material was too important and uh, the subject matter needed to be presented in a timely way. So uh, yeah, we moved ahead with that and in the process built the system while we were, while we were doing that. Yeah, it was, it was challenging, you know, having, having worked with you on that one, that was uh, getting it off the ground, the time period we did and, and doing the amount of, you know, and, and again, I want to, want to, restate that we actually live streamed for 10 consecutive days with and when you, you said uh three presenters a day that's un, an understatement though because a lot of times it was seven and eight and six yes, panels, panels. Large we brought in about 70 different presenters from yeah. various portals simultaneously yes we got to and that was honestly i think was the worst part of the bandwidth with the internet those few weeks were when everybody was in quarantine right. and everything was stressed so it was Kudos to you guys for pulling that off. Now, I, I want to tip over to Jody because uh, Jody got her uh, the NADCA conference right under the window, right? You completed it the week before everything shut down, didn't you? Yeah, we literally came home, we landed, and the next day the governor ordered um, everyone, you know, essential businesses closed and the quarantine. And so we knew going in that it was going to be risky. And we, we were also at a West Coast location, which tends to impact our attendance. And I have to tell you, we had record attendance. I think our industry is lacking some of the fear that most of us, you know, as regular uh, civilians have because they live in this world and they're constantly dealing with dangerous, you know, viruses, you know, you know, Bob, you've been doing it your whole life. So they put on their PPE, they go to work, they're, they're just fine with it. So, so we did get our event in under the wire and we have an event coming up in September, late September, early October. And we're going, we're going ahead. We haven't canceled. We're one of very few who haven't canceled and switched to virtual. And I've got, a board of directors who's confident that we'll get the attendance and uh you know we're we've been surveying and looking at impact to the industry and it, and we're optimistic that in spite of social distancing because our meeting is in new jersey so you know we've had to double our meeting space requirements we'll have you know mandatory um, requirements like masks and social distancing so you know uh, uh, the buffet you know we're notorious for providing hot breakfast and lunch right so None of that. You're going to get a box lunch. You're going to get um, a very different experience, but the content will deliver and, and the hands-on um, portion of that event will go on as planned. And I, I wish you good luck with that because, you know, hope, hopefully things, you know, and, we re and that's the thing. It's kind of, it's a wild card, right? We don't really know. Sure. Um, Kelly, uh, Kelly uh, with EIA, uh, EIA was another one that had a national event that, you know, really pretty much you guys were at ground center zero because uh, you were scheduled in Seattle, Washington in the end of March, which is really probably the worst place you could have been scheduled at that date. <laughs> oh, your audio's off here. Yeah, I'm mute, yeah. We were, we were okay. pushing it right up to the end. We canceled probably about three weeks out. And um, and I, I, I think we would have even pushed it farther had we not been in Seattle, which at the time, of course, was ground zero. And, um, I, but it, uh, thanks with Bob's help, we were able to put on a webinar series um, uh, over the dates of the original conference. It was much smaller and it's really for us was not a replacement for our conference. It was, um, it, it was a series to keep people engaged. Um, and we provided free registration to anybody who, did not ask for a refund for the conference, but instead stayed registered for the reschedule. Um, and then we had probably, I don't know, 25 to 30 uh, new registrants who participated and we had a great turnout. Um, but we are also scheduled for September. Um, there are of course some new challenges happening right now in Seattle if people are watching the news and what's happening. So um, we're going forward, we are scheduled, but we're sort of, um, you know, again, walk, walking it kind of carefully, um, given what's happening in the city right now. Um, all not COVID related, instead all politically related. So it, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting place to be in the world right now. Well, and look forward to the fact that we have hurricane season upon us now and wildfire season too. We can add, we right. can add that to the mix. Well, um, that has been interesting for us, our Carolinas chapter. The previous two years, I moved to their conference because of hurricanes, two years in a row. And then their chapter this year moved to October because of COVID. So, yeah, that's been fun. 
<laughs> yeah, it's ch challenging times for you guys. So I, I've got it. I'm going to kick over to Christy Crocker now. Um, I guess because Chris, Christy and the Maine Indoor Air Quality Council um, have been doing uh, IAQ and Energy that conference since 2018. That was their uh, rebrand of their uh, regional event, uh, which is a cool regional event, by the way. I, I still love that event. Um, and um, you, you guys, you guys took a different tack here, right? You, you've got. Well, tell us about it. What you decided to do. I have to say that I'm sure the reason why we took a different tack is because we're much more cowardly than all the rest of you. We're a very small organization and we like to think very big. Um, we do an amazing event, IAQ and Energy, um, but we're being such a small organization, we just can't take the risk that we have a poor, poorly performing live event. And we just had no confidence that uh, even come the end of October 2020, that we're going to be in a position where people are going to be comfortable being in close quarters from each other. And, and to take the risk of reduced attendance just seemed like that was a poor choice in terms of protecting our organization. So for us, making the switch was a no-brainer because it gives us an event that we could 100% count on. And that was more important to have something that you could count on rather than worrying about having to make that switch at the last minute. Wait, I want, I want to clarify, though. Although you say you're cowardly, you have been one of the bravest groups to do an online um, uh, offering for the last couple of years. You've actually have had Bob do uh, two dual sessions live that anybody who joins uh, remotely can actually see some great content and you've been recording them. So you've been really ahead of the curve for quite a long time about offering virtual um, uh, things, stay at home and actually still learn. It's been something you've been doing. So uh, I want to applaud you for, you know, being brave enough to do that for the, so you were kind of in place to be able to accept what's going on. Cause you go, well, we've done this in the past. We'll just close our doors and just do everything live. So you definitely have that advantage. So um, I want to ask the question to a few of you that have done this and why don't you give us some of your uh, one challenge that you have with working with people like us um, remotely. So what are what, what is one, if you're, if somebody else is watching this debating, we're thinking about doing a virtual uh, conference ourselves. What's something that you would say, one thing you need to make sure you have your act together on would be what, Christy? I would say having someone you can rely on to actually make it happen. I think there's so many different platforms out there, so many different people who can promise so many different things that you have to have some sense of confidence that the person that you select to actually do that live streaming can actually deliver the goods and deliver it in a reliable and efficient way. Um, you know, with all things, the worst thing would be to have a technical event where the technology fails. So, um, you know, well, that's... I'm, may I add to that? Um, so I'm going to uh, say this openly to the group and that is, um, we thought we had everything, you know, all boxes checked, all T's crossed, all I's dotted um, when we had to make the shift from the, the live to the virtual only event and um, pre-recording, et cetera, no matter how well we thought we were pretty organized with it, it turns out that the LMS system was unreliable. So even though people could get the education, when they went to go in to submit for their credit hours, the system clogged up and decided to literally break down the entire conference. So we had um, quite an interesting Monday <laughs> associated <laughs> with our three-day conference. Um, and we had to agonize over whether or not it was worth shutting it down. So midday, Monday, June 1st, AIHA made the decision to literally shut down our conference on June 1. And then we rebooted the LMS, um, which I won't tell you which one we use, <laughs> but um, it was absolutely agonizing for us to make that decision. Uh, and it turned out to be the best decision we made because it was extremely frustrating for all of our attendees, for staff, everyone. Um, and so we ended up rebroadcasting on the June 4th and we're rebroadcasting one more time on June 15th. So uh, to your question, Joe, I think that's something, no matter how well you think you are prepared for some of those glitches, um, sometimes you won't know until the day of. 
I, I want to uh, go over to Jay now, and not not to pick on you because you know because of uh, that that same uh, perspective. But IAQA hasn't done an online event uh, as far as a conference yet. But you, you guys did have a webinar that was a, a group webinar that had again had some had some glitchy stuff, and uh, you know just just give us a little insight on on you know how how that rolled for you. Okay, the webinar went good. Uh, normally at this time of the year each chapter would have two events and now the los angeles chapter had a virtual meeting we're getting ready to new jersey chapter starting to have a virtual meeting and work on more and more and this year here at a conference was the first year that we ever recorded all of our sessions that they will be available you know online too so it's more and more you just got to go with what you have and what's available. So, I mean, the concerns, obviously, you know, from the tech, tech side and, uh, you know, I feel all your pain on that. Like, so, you know, that, that day I was like feeling bad for you guys because there, there's, unfortunately, you can, you can plan and you can have all these contingencies in place, but eventually you end up in the Apollo 13 thing when the guys are sitting together with the duct tape trying to figure out how to put the pieces back together and you have to do it fast. We had, we, I mean, we had the same problem with the BPA event. Um, Joe, Joe was actually one of the presenters and uh, I successfully crashed, crashed the platform for four and a half minutes, which is the most agonizing four and a half minutes of my career. You know, you know, you have like 900 people on there and boom, legs out from under it. And, uh, you know, and, and that's unfortunately, that's the reality of online stuff. When you're live, um, you're taking that risk of, well, even if you're not live, because you were recorded on a lot of your stuff too. So, so that's, I, I think those are the challenges. Now, does, does that, let me just put that to the group. Does that, does that maybe make you all leery of continuing on doing online stuff or, you know, like Jody's nodding her head. What, what jump well, in. I'm always leery, you know, and I do think from my perspective, having a moderator, you know, in the way that you host Bob is the way to go. And if, if you're missing that, I think keeping the attention, keeping, um, you know, a face, a moderator, not someone just behind the screens, you know, with the technical uh, aspect, but someone to really uh, connect the dots on what the, the, the um, content is. I think, you know, for me, you can't do it without that. And Bob, Bob, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go. You first. Okay, well, but, first. Uh, Bob, also from the standpoint of the technical glitches uh, that that come up, we were very fortunate to have in place a live chat option that allowed our entire team to be linked to the members who were going through the process. So we were quickly able, through a series of questions that we received, to be able to identify recurring issues. Most of them had to do with the technology that the end user was using to connect to us. And so we were quickly able to figure out things that were a consistent problem on a certain platform, on a certain um, system, and for us to communicate among each other to resolve the issue and find out what worked. So I think having a, a live support team or a support team that can field those questions uh, in the field is really important to that event. I mean, there's no question you're going to have you're going to have end user technical issues regardless. Just people, you know, are going to be having it from their own end. Like when they're buffering, for example, right? You're watching a live event and it's buffering. People immediately think it's your broadcast screwing up. And while in fact it could be their internet provider, you know, they're just not they they can't handle the bandwidth or they've gone max screen, you know. And, and by if they just size down their video window, they would be able to stream, you know, real time. But these are the things that people don't know on the end, because nobody's really that experienced with attending online events, right? But I, I will remind you that yeah, live events, I've had mics not work, I've had projectors not work, computers just go weird. So, you know, technology, no matter when you use it, has the ability to just go sideways, so, yeah. That was the, that was the point that I was gonna add, is that stuff happens at live events, and it's really all mm -hmm. about the contingency planning making sure that you have that belt and the cummerbund and the suspenders in place ahead of time so that you're prepared to be nimble when stuff happens. So, because what do you do when your keynote presenter got the date wrong and ended up in New York State, even though he sent in a, you know, I mean, you, you, like, what do you do? There's nothing you can do. So you, you have to be prepared and to be able to leap through those hoops when they happen. I just think it's, you know, people find it a little more glaring when it's the technology and when you're feeling like people have made that investment in something online, they're expecting it to work. 
and they're not thinking that stuff is going to happen from the planning perspective. And I wonder if the users might be a little less tolerant of those mistakes than they would be at a live event when you can put a face on it and own it. I, I think you're going to see more more critical viewers going forward than now. During during March and April and early May, I think we all got a free pass in this industry as far as streaming stuff because everybody was getting clogged up in the internet. Everybody's speed download speeds were wrong. Zoom, you know, went from being super reliable and super stable. I've been using it for five years for online training to, you know, bandwidth crushing and things just warbling all over the place. And it's happening with every platform. Go to meeting. I mean, I'll, you know, I'll get everybody upset with me in the industry, but the fact is nobody's platform is demonstrated to me as a provider that their stuff's rock solid stable because I haven't seen it yet. Everything's had glitches, but I think, you know, the timing of it, since we, you know, we were, we were the pioneers jumping into all of this stuff. We had a lot more latitude. I think as we go forward, what do you think? Do you think, are we going to have the same kind of latitude with our audience? Or are they going to be a little bit more critical? Much more critical. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the one thing you need, sorry, real quick, is, is you need the ability to communicate with them all quickly. So when my, um, you know, slide deck failed, I don't go over there and, and stare with a bunch of other technicians that I don't need to be there. I try to talk to the audience about like, so here's what we're going to do today. Let's start with some early questions. If you can communicate with them on, on as a mass, I say, here's what's happening. So send out an email, send out some text opportunity that they can say like, okay, thanks for letting me know what's going on. It's the one thing they want to know is just tell me what's going on. Are you out for the day? Are you out for a few minutes? So I think you should, that, that is your suspenders. As Christy mentioned, you need something to say, we're still here. Just give us a second and we'll be right back. And I think that's why communication with your speakers is so much more critical than it would have been in a live event. Live events. Um, you know, making sure that your speakers know what they need to do should something fail and that, and that they can rely on you. I don't know how many of my speakers already that we've used in our webinar series, they've never done this before either. They're not necessarily on tra online trainers. You know, they, they don't know how to run their own tech in a live event. They certainly aren't going to be able to do it this way. And I, I, it's crucial to make sure that they're comfortable, comfortable and, and crucial that they know that they can get in touch with you kind of behind the scenes on the fly. Yeah, I think that that's paramount. Sorry, Bob, to your earlier question, uh, you know, do we think virtual meetings are here to stay? And I think exactly what you said, if, you know, people were forgiving for a couple months. If they're not so forgiving in the future, what's the likelihood that they're going to continue to sign on and participate if we don't get it right? And I don't mean that, you know, globally, because a lot of people do successful online events, but for each of us individually as associations, we've got to get that right. So yeah. Beth... You know, I was gonna say, Beth, I want to bring you in because you're dealing with um, 30 meeting planners, or you said more than 30 meeting planners. So, you know, what what's your perspective? You know, and again, you, with association headquarters, you're dealing with a lot of different organizations, and uh, you know, so what, what's what's your overall view and feelings of this? You know, are some of your organizations doing online? Are they all? You know, what, what's what's the perspective there? So we sort of had a domino effect in that the folks who did January and February meetings were fine and got through their meetings. At about the beginning of February, our senior meetings folks were starting to hear the drumbeat that this COVID thing was going to turn into something bigger. And what we did was we were proactive about it even before everybody was really talking about it. Internally, we were asking our teams to go forward and contact their AEs and talk about what happens if you can't execute your meeting. What's the financial impact? What would be required if you were to jump online? So for the most part, our company sort of rallied and said, okay, we're gonna anticipate this. Then all of a sudden it happened very quickly. And all of a sudden our, our team of 30 people were now all working from home managing these meetings. What we've been able to do is share a lot of resources. And, and the thing that I would like to add to the preparation piece of it is being proactive about telling your people who've only been first time trade show exhibitors, how do you maximize your platform? Uh, doing practice runs a couple head, couple weeks ahead of your meeting. Uh, we had a lot of groups do that because they wanted to identify the technology, the, the, you know, the safaris or, or the internet explorer situations that potentially could pop up. We knew that from just association management, which servers and, and which places people might've had a difficulty with previously, but by being proactive about 
instructing people on how to access the system, sort of dealing with all those user potential errors beforehand, I think that really helped minimize the problems online. I think, you know, to, to your point there, Having, you know, pre-dry runs, I think, is essential. And this is especially true if you're doing live stream uh, delivery. If you're, you know, if you, and when I say live stream, the, the actual events, you know, the, the sessions are being the, being live delivered as opposed to pre-recorded. Pre-recorded, you still have the technical issues of the upload and being able to deliver to the, to the people. But, you know, when you get a situation like what we did with BPA, where we did 10 days of literally live presentations uh, with video, with multiple presenters from multiple locations, multiple bandwidths. Um, logistically, it's it can be harrowing, to say the least. And, and we spent a lot of time doing pre-run-throughs with every presenter prior to having them go in there. And we actually did bandwidth checks. And we, we tried to find where the problems would be. And I think we were able to minimize that by spending literally 20 hours in advance with presenters going over stuff like that and having everybody dial into the system and walk them through it. But even, even so with that, you still have technical glitches, right? I mean, it's, it, there's no, I, I think Sue pointed that out. There's, you know, there's, you can have all the preparation in the world, but there's still unforeseeable, but you know, and I, I guess that's going to be, if you're, if you're doing anything, anything online, that's always going to be a potential, right? Um, Bob, I just wanted to uh, tell you on the, on the positive side, um, you know, I shared some of the negative side of, of what happened on our first day, uh, but on the positive side, once things did start to roll properly um, and we disabled the ability for people to submit uh, live for their credits, uh, by just rolling the conference with a pre-recording turned out to be literally almost flawless. Um, so it is a, a, a takeaway uh, that we uh, experienced as a positive that we, it can look seamless. Uh, and in fact, a lot of our members and attendees to the, to the online event were very complimentary of the fact that the um, presenters were live in the chat rooms and they said, you know, not for anything, but you can't get that even when you're live. You, you right. can't always have your, your questions answered um, on the spot. So it was a very cool concept that um, we think we, we would replicate again, actually, um, aside from the other glitches, <laughs> obviously. And I will say, I got to attend part of your sessions over that week. And, uh, you know, your pre-packaged uh, video production work was outstanding. I mean, you had some really good you know, well done uh, production work behind the scenes and, and, and it showed, it looked very professional. It was, it was quite well done. So, so, so what, what are, Joe, Joe take it, 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 I have it, another. It, yeah, so you can tell we, 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 we coordinate everything together so we know when to not talk to each other. We're, yeah, well, we're, yeah. we're great at not stepping on each <clears> other. So I did want to promote that there's you have several options just to make to remind, you know, those of you who are listening that you can do live, which is a, as we talked about, a serious challenge. But the one thing I really encourage everybody to do is just record the sessions is even if it's just a, a, a raw, even if it's audio only, there are so many times where I'm like, God, I wish I could go to that session, but I'm in this session. And there's just so much knowledge that is just not getting documented by people that may not be in the industry for very long. And they're there this one time because they have the budget to come out and, and, and share what they've got going on. And if you're not in that room, seeing that PowerPoint, you have no idea what it is. I can download the PowerPoint, but I have no idea what they really were telling us. So I encourage you to record as much as you can. You can use those for CEUs in the future. You can just use them as though you had these people here as a marketing tool, but I encourage you to stop letting the knowledge get not documented. So whatever you can do to record it. Most of us don't care if the video is not that great. We just want to know what's going on with the slides. That is a huge benefit that all of you could be doing for anything you do. If you can't do live, record it, and let people pay a small fee to, to watch all of the sessions. Uh, that's one of the things that's been a missing opportunity for every conference I've gone to uh, for the most part, except Christie's. Yeah. yeah, I will say, you know, for six years, I've been live, <laughs> threw that in there nicely. Uh, for six years, I've been live streaming, you know, with Healthy Indoors, we've been actually at events live stream. We did our, our first, actually our first live stream, believe it or not, was way before Healthy Indoors. 2003, we actually had Melinda Ballard, who was uh, the mold advocate. Uh, we did a live town hall in 2003. And you want to talk about logistical problems to make that work. That was a challenge back then. But um, in 2014, Jay, I think you remember, we actually did a stream from 
uh, IAQA's national conference in Nashville. And it was a limited, we, we pushed it up on your Facebook page. It was a limited way we did it. Because again, the technology was harder to do back then. Um, but I, I think that that illustrates there's, you know, two different flavors, you know, like you, you have absolutely have the in-person event where you create a hybrid online offering from that. Like we've done it, you know, like Christie's done with uh, Maine Indoor Air Quality Council's IAQ and Energy event, where it is a live event with multiple presenters and production crews brought to that site or multiple production crews, live stream sessions from the event. You know, so that's that's one thing. And I think that's easier to control because your only real problem then is bandwidth on internet. If you can get internet connections, you're pretty good because you have everybody in one room you have the microphones all checked you have you have your hands on all the pieces with the exception of the upstream uh when you do what you know what steve and what sue and uh you know what kelly did it gets a lot more challenging because now you're dealing with an event where people are remotely coming into the event you're trying to portal that and that it's not nearly as uh easy to do as an in-person hybrid so do you see so my question is so most of your organizations have done some real-time uh you know live streaming in the event of this pandemic so what do you see going forward do you see maybe the adoption of some hybrid type stuff where you're going to have recordings i know so you aiha's done uh you've been live streaming since like five six years right or not having oh, online yeah. portions of your conference that's correct yeah it's yeah, nothing new for you to, to have a segment that's mm-hmm. online Yes, and um, it's it's been, uh, we always refer to uh, the people who tend to come to those events, um, we refer to them as um, our steadies, um, because they love the online formality, you know, the, the online um, situation, and it's definitely uh, something that's very, very appealing to a lot of people, obviously, um, and it's, we will not get rid of, of that ever, uh, but for AIHA and our conference, the question then is, um, would we ever want to do something even larger for the online uh, as well as the live? We're not going to let live ever go. It's it's definitely important. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, opportunity for our members and those SETIs who usually do love that virtual event. I mean, so to all of you, to the whole panel here, do you, do you see... Uh, you know, the, the likelihood that you're going to, you know, when we get back to doing large scale in-person events, I mean, I'm assuming that we will, you know, predicated on the fact that we do that, but you know, that we do, do you, do you see then, then the need, or at least the desire to then incorporate like in more of this hybrid type thing where you're going to do some live streaming from that? I think so. Absolutely. Well, Jay, I'm working on my proposal for your um, you know, next year uh, conference. So I was wondering what, what what are you guys starting to talk about now, or what are you guys planning for IEQA in next? I think it's February. Uh, we're planning on you know the face to face right now, and uh, you know then we're going to have a backup plan if it doesn't open up. Um, you know, just through this whole entire process whether it's a change for the good or bad, there's always a time of discomfort. And you look, when you're doing it uh, virtual, you lose that networking, the face-to-face, the hands-on meeting of people, which more caters more to the older crowd, where the younger people, they get more in tune with the virtual. They like clicking on, clicking off, and that holds their attention better where I myself, I prefer the networking, the hands-on, the handshaking, and being able to meet the exhibitors and seeing what's new in the industry where if it's all virtual, you just don't get that hands-on. Okay, well, I'm gonna uh, pause just for a second. So at the BPA conference, they had a couple of virtual um, sessions in the evening. Um, Kevin Kennedy and I did one that was after our session for a, a Q&A. If you want to come over, come over to this Zoom meeting. And one of the things that happened was that people that I never would have talked to are suddenly in front of me, okay? Um, people that if I was at a bar, I wouldn't have gone over and talked to this John Chris guy, but he was able to join our Zoom meeting. And some people joined and they didn't even put their video on. They just wanted to hear what we were saying and get closer to what we had to offer. So there is a different type of social connectivity that happens. Um, so it isn't as though I don't get to shake their hands anymore, but there were people that I would have never met at the conference because I normally go over to the same table and talk to the same people and you know we all get caught up, but 
there's a bunch of another table that I wouldn't have talked to. And those are things that were happening at these virtual assessments. So I really encourage you to figure out a way to do, you know, the virtual after hours. Um, and BPA try to do something with groups. So if you're into something like this, you kind of talk to those same people. So that's the newest thing that we need to figure out how to do is to get people socially engaged, older and younger, as to, you know, I, I do want to talk to Jay and the people that Jay talks to, but I normally don't go up and, and stand next to you at those social events, but now if I can. Do, they shun you anyway, probably. Yeah, they do. <laughs> They're like, oh, here comes Joe. Right here. <laughs> and Jay, you didn't mention that, that you wanted to give people. Hug. Yeah. Well, you also like to hug people. I do too. So I do understand we miss that as part of the, the reality when you get face to face. But it's like Beth said, hybrid is the future. And I think down the road, it is going to be the future. I agree what? with that. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jay. For no, go ahead, Jody. That are doing uh, the virtual events, can someone share or all of you share um, how you've made the pivot with your sponsors, you know, and the exhibitors who generally have that face-to-face -face interaction, opportunity to sell, you know, what offerings are you providing to them to uh, secure the sponsorship dollars and not have a deficit there? Chris, do you want to dare jump in? <laughs> Or, See, or, or are you playing poker? <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'll show one card. Yeah, the the um, underlying sort of issue here is I think with some creativity, there's not just a way to meet the needs of the exhibitors or sponsors and attendees, but maybe even exceed those opportunities. We've spent a lot of time here at the Man Underwear Quality Councils are getting ready for this fall event, talking about what do exhibitors want and what do sponsors want. And, you know, they want, they want to talk with their audience. They want the opportunity to showcase their products and services. The sponsors want to see their logos in prominent ways. So we've we've already come up with a whole structure um, within the event to provide exactly that. And the, the, our planning team gets so excited and they start spitting out all these ideas so fast that I'm really starting to feel like we're going to be able to deliver more opportunities for exhibitors and sponsors to connect with our audience than we're able to do at the live event where it's just really easy to walk by people. Well, um, the big thing, so. the big thing is you have to, you have to break that, that stigma of webinars. You know, people view yeah. online as a webinar, voiceover PowerPoint and, you know, and, and nothing against that because there, there's a place in a learning environment and LMSs to do that. But that, that sterility of right of that voice, you know, somebody speaking even live over PowerPoint is like there is so so limited engagement with an audience with that. It just doesn't. Well, the one thing that I, I, I think that a lot of them are missing is that um, right now you can't watch a sports team without seeing some logo on them. It's just part of our culture now. We understand that people advertise everywhere to pay for things. But I would encourage Steve and others to don't hesitate to have a three minute or five minute promo in between sessions for somebody who's your sponsor to be like, you know, uh, here's one of our sponsors right now. We have, you know, Panasonic or Brona, whatever it is, and just give a quick promo. And they actually had a virtual way to connect with them, which was the first time I've seen that it was logistically challenged as Steve could probably would shake his head to, but mm. the other thing we should be doing is figuring out a way to promote them when we are live and everybody gets to get an experience of that and, and pro throw their website up or some contact information. Cause I think that's one thing that they really want is that exposure and people to say, you know what, I need to go over and talk to those guys one way or the other. So that's one thing that I encourage you to do is it's okay to add sponsors in your live uh, content between sessions. Yeah, and, and Joe, one of the things that um, we certainly took into account was that um, it was really important for us to change the mindset of the vendors and the sponsors to say, you're in a partnership with us year long. We're going to promote um, your access to people through a variety of things we do and not just during the virtual event. Um, so those were, have really been some of the things where you talk about, you have the, you have the tag on certain content, you have the promotional videos, and then even for programs like this, I know, um, Bob, you find sponsors to the show and you mentioned them. Um, these are just different touch points that our sponsors are included because none of us could be doing what, what we're doing without them. And I will say, Sue, AIHA did a really nice job of having packaged advertisement. Uh, segments uh, that was really, you know, and to me that adds the the level, you know, both the ROI for your sponsors and exhibitors, but it also um, it's actually a better production level, right? The audience starts; to, it doesn't look like a Zoom meeting anymore when you start doing some production value. I mean, we're doing a Zoom meeting show here, but even even with this live event that we do every week, we're doing some post production. So you and the audience are seeing 
you know, different graphics and things popping up that, you know, it's not just a Zoom meeting, you know, it's a Zoom meeting with a little bit more, you know, and I, I think, you know, are, are you all looking for ways to enhance those engagement opportunities? I mean, I, I think the hardest is with the exhibitors, the trade show, it, well, at least it's the hardest paradigm shift to make, right? It, it's doable. But Beth, Beth, you pointed out that you're trying to get somebody, as Steve mentioned, to commit to you as, as an organization, not just to the events. Can you elaborate on that? That's right. I, I like to call it the longer tail. So when you're selling event sponsorships, you know, you historically it was limited to that two to five day period where people were all on site. And we were selling elevators and, and uh, column wraps and things like that. Now there's a lot more benefit to the exhibitor in that we can stretch that four to five days into a longer period of time and more of a year round sponsorship opportunity, but also dig into the information a little more, tell them who were the people that came into their virtual booth give them some more analytics of what people were interested in. So, and I think that exhibitors are gonna get and sponsors are gonna get much more savvy as they do different types of events. They're gonna get much more savvy and try to drive a little bit more of what they want from you. But I think that this, I think that the opportunities, even if you're a national organization, the, the opportunity to start building an international audience or even getting people that for whatever reason have travel bans, can't afford to travel, timing doesn't work for them. Um, maybe it's a secondary or tertiary event. Now more people can engage with these virtual events. So it, it just creates uh, more of an ROI for the exhibitors and sponsors. Yeah, I think clearly that's that's the case because, you know, just think about, you know, especially for regional groups, you know, like Christy, Christy will attest to this, um, you know, smaller organizations that would have maybe have a more difficult time attracting national level speakers to fly to a, you know, a localized event at one end of the country or international speakers, you know, you know, the cost to bring those people in is prohibitive, you couldn't do it. But, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, with this, you know, using an online approach, you know, you, you can really pretty much reach anybody from anywhere very cost effectively. You know, you don't have to fly people. And, you know, do, do you see the possibilities? You know, again, I, you know, we're, we're, we've mentioned about, you know, when we get back to normal, you know, that we, you know, potentially have hybrid events where you offer maybe an online streaming component of that live event, but you can, you can re-engineer that back the other direction. You could have a presenter from, you know, Tokyo speaking live at your event in Washington, D.C. on the big screen and interactively have them engaging with the audience because you have a webcam out on mm -hmm. the audience. So we, I, I say this because we did this at the PACNI conference last year, a uh, year ago. Uh, the uh, director of uh, the uh, New York State Department of Labor uh, department that handled all the mold uh, licensing was supposed to be doing the keynote. She got snowed in, couldn't get there that morning. We're, we're at a casino literally 15 minutes before the event. I'm just an exhibitor there and we had some streaming equipment there. And they go, is there any way you can get her, you know, get her online? I'm like, yeah, I guess. And, and we did Zoom. It was like, it was like the most crazy thing. We actually got a Zoom thing, took a webcam and did it at the audience, hooked the mic, you know, got their AV part to hook into our notebook. And she was live on a 20 foot screen in the audience to 500 people taking live questions, talking to them in real time. So, I mean, there, we haven't even brushed the surface what we can do with this. So we're getting to that point, Joe, because we, we vowed that we were going to try to uh, close five minutes early today. So uh, I'm going to do a couple of like, oh, there we go. It's a, make sure you're thinking it's thumbs up or thumbs down or I don't know. So uh, a couple of questions for the group. Okay. Cause there's no, there's not enough time to go around. So let's talk about that. Is a live virtual event uh, a benefit to your members? Two thumbs okay, up. Two thumbs up. All right. Uh, Jay, we missed you there. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Jay, you're, you're, you're showing your age, buddy. You, you, he you wants know. to sit at the bar and have cocktails. I get You could still do that. You know, we yeah. actually have after hours. We're all got our drinks. We're like, hey, what do you got? Oh, I yeah, still have bottle great. caps from Steve's event. They haven't yeah, left right. the studio yeah. yet. Um, a, I'll, I'll even widen this that even a, a webinar or a live event is easy to do. Okay. Yeah, a few. Of that. I was question. expecting a few of those, right? You know, they, they no. could have challenges. Is it easy right. to do well. <clears throat> well, there are two things. You know, you you easy to do, but you melded well. two together. A live event and a webinar are two different tiers of complexity. Well, but but they have a live component. <laughs> Do they have this like, oh, suddenly, you know, this person's internet is weird, you know, not working correctly. So that was, you know, so there, there's a lot of logistics behind that. Okay, so. Um, that these are uh, can be socially challenged. I'll get Jay. This is just for you. Socially challenged events. Are you with me, Jay? Uh, yeah, yeah. Hello, anybody? You know, 
Give me, so, can be so. I don't, what can was the be, question? Are they, they? They're socially okay. They're socially limited. I say no, they're not. Okay, great. Okay, Jay, I, I gave you a question just for you. Okay. You know, that's one of. The, hey, that that could be. They're socially limited in conventional in conventional way we interact at live events, in person events. Yes, they are. But that's why you have to do you have to do a paradigm shift to come up with different ways to to assimilate. That's why, like I said, through any change, whether it's a change for the good or bad, there's a time of discomfort. And that's what this is for maybe like people like me who's computer challenged. Now it's you know, I have no problem going into a crowd of people and talking, but for me to sit on a computer, it's totally different. So that's why it's a. Okay. All right. Okay. That um, a, some portion of either live or recorded to the future for all events is my next question to you. Is that a, yeah, is that a confirmed? Is yeah. that again? Is, is, uh, so for any type of live event, we now actually have either recorded or live part of it. So we no longer just go to a session without having some type of live or recorded thing that I can follow up with afterwards. I think that's the future of all events. Yes. Yeah. That, that that's huge for me is that's you know, in fact to, to point out that i was a, a part of steve's event but there were people who i've tried to see present for years i mean i'm seriously for seven years i've tried to see this one session and it was either wrong time or just too crowded and this year we all got to see things we never would have seen before so there was a major benefit to uh, being able to go see even if i have to go back and see it later those are some of the benefits so um this i will ask one you Joe. hey thank you jay all right all right <laughs> Um, is uh, I'll start with uh, Steve as one question, and it could expand out. Is what are the the some of the the data or information or specs or what did you get out of this from learning about your participants? That I'm sure you got some you know, common demographics, but was, was there sure. a, a data set that happened indirectly from this? Well, what was interesting is to see the incredible amount of pent up appetite for the content. Um, we had people who had scheduled two people to be there live who, when we said, oh, we're going virtual, they said, great, here's 21 other people we want to participate. We saw those kinds of numbers in there. And then also for us to be able to get our first look at how people are interacting with vendors, how they're handling their time in the room. And, and uh, you actually have a, a lot more demographic on how people move through presentations and um, to get their CEUs, they have to uh, put a summary or they have to put in a, a um, oh, they have to do their evaluation at the end in order to click to get their, their uh, CEUs. So for us, we were able to gather a lot more information about the quality of the speaker and, and, and the experience. And they got to see speakers they've never seen before and were able to then follow up with those individuals personally. Um, through our community boards. And so uh, we're able to make some links between people and say, hey, this person seemed to be a good candidate for your product, or they seem to be very interested in the sidebars uh, of asking questions about your product. Maybe you need to communicate with them directly. Uh, so it was, it was, it was very good. Um, I know next time we'll have a lot more data points that we're in control of because a lot of that's third party um, when you're standing it up. Sue, do you have something to add to that? Yeah, I, well, we actually did our post-conference survey and uh, we took a quick look and it's still open, in fact, until Friday. Uh, but um, on the surface, the data points uh, were such that people were very pleased with the, um, the conference as it was presented. Uh, and yet, even though they couldn't do their networking that we've all talked about a bunch of times, uh, there was virtual networking going on in the chat rooms, um, shockingly to a lot of people. So that actually came back with positive uh, grades that we were, uh, we didn't anticipate, we weren't thinking about that. So um, yeah, there are, there are those pluses and minuses um, uh, that we've been noticing on our data points too. So Kelly and Jody, you, you both have upcoming events soon, you know, yeah. um, so contingencies in place like how you know you, you both you know you're you're going bravely ahead jody kelly you're going bravely ahead too back to seattle um or not back to seattle i guess um i you, 
you you can't just auto. I mean, I, I shouldn't say this. I what <laughs> what's the thought process on on how you're doing that? Is there a backup plan? Yeah, we're going into it knowing that we haven't finalized. Um, we have the our facility is holding the dates for us, but we haven't actually finalized the contract. Um, and I know a lot of meeting planners. It's a benefit for us. I mean, we're kind of in the power seat right now if we're willing to go forward with an event, um, which is great. Um, but we also have probably the world's best cancellation clause in the world that no one will ever see again. You know, I mean, this is this is it. So if we have to do the transition at the last minute, we'll do it. We'll go and online you fully. You didn't have that cancellation clause on the last uh, go about in the spring, did you? Uh, not this one. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm saying. Because I, I know like, you know, Steve, I know you guys were, were bearing down like an onerous number if you canceled before the state canceled it for you. Uh, Jody, so you're, you're going full bore ahead again. We're going, we're going ahead. We're optimistic, you know, as far as, um, cancellation, we're in New Jersey. So, um, the only way that we're going to cancel is if the hotel and the facility and the state tells us we have to cancel. Otherwise, uh, it, it will be business as usual. You know, whether or not there'll be a virtual component, that's something the board has decided to take on a day-by-day -day basis because it is changing. And you know, we're getting different news reports every day. We don't know what the numbers are going to look like after we open up. So, um, so it's certainly something we're prepared for and not something that we've, uh, you know, started rolling forward yet. Do you guys have physical uh, limitations or mass requirements as part of this live event? We okay. do. Yeah. As of now, yes. Um, as we're approaching our, our end time, the one thing that I did learn through uh, Steve's being live and people talked about the chat and there are chatty Cathy's and chatty uh, uh, John's out there and it's just a great thing for a presenter to see but I encourage you to have a moderator who's not just the person sitting in the back who says sign this piece of paper but act active with that presenter helping you throw questions out because it's hard for us to see all this chatter that goes by so the moderator now is another role to make the session go smoothly and make sure people are heard. So I encourage you to figure out a way to integrate that as you go virtual, that it isn't just a technical person like Bob, who's got the video and audio going. This is actually somebody else technical. who's engaged. That's right. What's that? I'm not that I would encourage people to have someone mo uh, monitoring the chat that actually has mm -hmm. knowledge of the subject area so that they can actually answer people's basic questions without necessarily having to interrupt the presentation. And then everybody that benefits from the answer anyway. Great. And with that, I have to go. I apologize because oh, we've got understood. people on a program. Yeah, ourselves. she has another live live yeah. live training event. We never got to talk about training, so we may have to we may have to have you uh, reconvene you guys at a future date to discuss that a little bit more. And again, this is the this is the view of what it looks like behind the scenes at an online event. You know, this is you don't you don't just see the pretty green screen. You know, it's like you're dealing with more of that. Um, I, I guess we probably better, we're going to pull the plug at this point. Um, there, there's a lot more we could cover. And I, I think I would, I would like to encourage all of you. We'll, we'll, we'll look at coming back and continuing this discussion as this evolves. I think this is an evolving uh, area for all of us, right? Obviously it's not just the big national event conferences. It's also going to be the online training offerings and, you know, so it, we, oh, wait, we agree I, I it's here do, to stay, right? Yeah, I got one last thing. So <clears throat> Bob will not promote himself, but I, I can do that. So it, it, either you hire somebody who's technically savvy like Bob or somebody else, but don't get your nephew or think that you guys can do this internally. If your that is a disaster. Confident. Stop yeah, that. right. Well, Stop you know, he that, my, that's, that's he, very judgmental. He is my he is my nephew. So anyway, but um, the point is, make sure you have somebody who has experience doing this and don't think that this is just like a webinar that you can pull off with. Otherwise, you're whole association will f have a failure in front of more people than you could ever imagine. So make sure you vet your, your backside of what you're going to do virtually. Okay. Well, you know, with that, I um, do the quick plugs first, then we'll, we'll do a closeout. Um, so Joe Madosh, uh, Hayward score, uh, tell just quick, quick. Yeah. Yeah. You can get your free Hayward score at, at HaywardScore.com. Uh, it's a, we described as an interactive tool that helps people make their home healthier. That obviously benefits them in a lot of ways. So uh, HaywardScore.com. Thanks. It's a, and it's a survey. It's basically a survey that helps you, helps guide you through what's happening in your environment. Yeah, but we, we also have to give follow-ups. We actually give you things you actually can do in your home. So we think of it as more of an interactive tool than just a survey. So, yeah. Perfect. Um, and then my final plug out here for me is going to be uh, Healthy Indoors, uh, the Healthy Indoors show. Uh, of course, we do that every Thursday now live uh, from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, Eastern Daylight time now through the summer. And uh, also Healthy Indoors magazine, which is a free 
publication. Uh, we, we have a digital edition every month uh, that's available worldwide. Uh, we also have a quarterly print edition that's uh, available to qualified readers free as well. And healthyindoors.com is a uh, repository of a lot of good information that you can get for free anytime. So you can get to all this stuff. Look at that. Healthyindoors.com. The podcast, if you can't stand looking at Joe and my faces, which I can understand, click the podcast button and listen to the audio of our shows. Um, you know, the magazine's available, all the back issues. And now Joe's just doing all that great stuff. So uh, with that, I'd really like to, uh, I'd like to thank all our guests, uh, Kelly Rutt, uh, uh, Sue Marchesi, uh, Steve Skodak, Jay Steak, mm. Jody uh, Arajo. It's Arajo? I always say your name wrong. No. Do, please correct me. It's Arajo. Arajo. Close. Yeah, and it's not like I haven't known you for a lot of years. That's just depressing on my part. Uh, but that's my excuse. Uh, Beth Morrow, um, and of course, uh, the ever-present Joe Medosh and Christy Crocker in, in absence. Uh, thank you all so very much for participating. Uh, to everyone out there, we'll see you next Thursday, um, 1 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time for the Healthy Indoor Show. Until then, I'm Bob Krell. Please stay healthy and stay safe. Thank you. Take care. Bye, everybody.